We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me is always Jack Manuel and regular guest on the show, Lucas Kaplan of Nets Republic. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing pretty well today. Uh, excited that the season is less than a month away, man. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm some running out of players with numbers to do countdowns for the days on Twitter. I know uh, our guy Matt Brooks isn't the biggest fan of that, but I like it. I like getting excited and, and putting plays... I think it was Sean Kilpatrick days left until preseason or media, whatever. So, Sean Kilpatrick, shout out to that dude. Yeah, there you go. All-time that great right there. But before we jump into it, quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. And today, we're going to talk about combinations of numbers, and that's going to be lineups. So, I guess, Lucas, to kick things off, what's your opening night starting lineup? Well, the opening night uh, starting lineup is really, you know, three spots obviously locked in. And then do you want me to go what I would do or what I what I think it's going to be? Let's do both. All right. Well, I ha- I think Blake Griffin is, is locked in. Um, he really closed out last season starting most games. And it just feels, you know, politics considered. Not that I think Blake would make a huge fuss about not starting. It just feels like that's the simplest route to go. And so then you really... Um, <clears throat> have either a guard or, or forward spot. That's the thing about those four guys, the big three and Blake. You can start a guy like Joe Harris or, you know, even on an injury night like Patty Mills. You could also start someone bigger if you wanted to, like a Millsap or a Nick Claxton. But I think that they go Joe Harris. Um, you know, if you want to – if they're obviously an offensively slanted team and if you want to – be that team to the fullest extent of your abilities, then you start, you know, a top five shooter on the earth. And so I think they'll start Joe Harris. So my prediction opening night is those is the big three, Joe and Blake. Um, you know, maybe some nights they need some defensive punch. They start Bruce Brown instead of Joe Harris. I think those have been some reports. I personally would like to see Nick Claxton start. Yes. Yes, sir. And probably Joe Harris. Um, the one thing I do like about Steve Nash, he seems very flexible with the starting lineups, but I think, you know, in my dream world where I'm the coach, I would be even more flexible. You might see some nights where I run out the big three, Claxton and Blake Griffin, just to get weird with things. But, yeah, no, I would just substitute Blake for Claxton in my ideal lineups. 
Yeah, look, I'm pretty much on the same bandwagon uh, as Lucas. Funny ESPN projected the starting lineup as the big three, Blake and LMA, which we didn't see being very effective last year in the small time that those guys were available. As Lucas was sort of mentioning, you know, Blake and Clax did work quite well. Um, I did a little bit of research yesterday in terms of four-man and three-man lineups. When you have the big three and Joe Harris, you know, 140 minutes last season, 125.2 offensive rating, so not bad there, and 107.1 defensive rating, so 18.1 net rating. So that's uh, that's a pretty good lineup if you ask me. And if you have any combination of where you got the big two of the big three and Harris. So uh, stay with me here, guys. So 537 minutes, Irving, Harris, and Durant. 126 point off, 120.6 offensive rating and 109, uh, 109 defensive rating. Then you got Harden, Harris, and Durant, 207 minutes, 122.7 offensive rating, 106.9 defensive rating, and then throwing Griffin here. You got uh, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, and Blake Griffin in 188 minutes, 122.4 offensive rating and 106.7 defensive rating. Now, the purpose to, for me turning into some sort of stats nerd is to illustrate that while a lot of people are advocating for Joe Harris coming off the bench, and I don't think that would be a bad decision by any chance. We actually did see it a little bit last season, very, very sparingly. You put Joe Harris with the big three, good things tend to happen offensively and surprisingly defensively as well. And I, I think that that's probably the most likely outcome. We heard sort of Sean Marks and Steve Nash say that, you know, they're confident in Joe Harris despite what happened in the postseason. We heard a little bit about Clack sort of saying, you know, he's going to have to fight for his position to start, um, but he, they expect a big season ahead for him. But yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with Lucas. I think it's the big three, Joe. Um, and look, I'll throw that LMA because he did start quite consistently as well. So I think that there is a world where you know he is healthy, he is fit and firing, and he might take Blake's starting line, uh, starting position, and it allows you to play Blake and Clax as a, a sort of second man unit with maybe James Harden and such, which which proved to be very very effective last year as well. So again, we could do lineups, uh, these sort of lineup <laughs> episodes for like two hours. You know, Bill Simmons style, but um, just illustrating that Joe Harris with the superstars leads to good things. Yeah, I think you guys are spot on. I think the most likely starting lineup, like you said, Kyrie, Harden, Joe, KD, and Blake. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's LaMarcus Aldridge because you do see teams start the true big to start the game, kind of bring that physicality. And obviously, if you're starting, doesn't mean you're going to get starter minutes either. Do you guys think the only two-man combo that could start would be Blake and Nick Claxton? I would throw out Paul Millsap as well in some sort of iteration. We did see, you know, when we talked about the signing um, a couple of weeks ago, that there were rumors that, you know, he was offered a starting role or he hopes to start. Now at the four, at the five, I like Paul Millsap at the five. You know, I talked about, I guess, you know, the B-ball ref stats, which aren't necessarily the most reflective of, of where you generally do play. But I like him as a five and, you know, whether that's KD at a four, um, again, yesterday we did hear Steve Nash and and, and, Sh- and Sean Marks sort of say that, you know, KD will play anywhere from three to five. So, I mean, we'll get into sort of some iterations of that in a little bit. But, you know, I, I don't think Millsap and Aldridge can work. That to, well, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll get to be proven correct because I think both of those guys, uh, I think, are a little bit... Too I, I, Millsap, too slow, um, not necessarily um, laterally quick. But I think that there's worth experimenting because we... 
we sort of know that Blake and Bruce doesn't work amazingly, but that could change this year. Who knows? Um, we know Blake and Clax did work last year, so there is a sample size to go there. We don't know LMA and, and Millsap. We don't know what Blake and Millsap. We don't know what Clax and Millsap could work like. But I think Millsap has every opportunity to, to get a starting position as well because I think that he has the most versatile skill set. He's, you know, decent. He's probably one of the better defenders out of those. He's not Clax. He's probably maybe Blake a little bit better at this point of his career. And he might be the best three-point shooter out of them, at least the most, the guy that'll chuck it up the most. Yeah. Um, and I like him as a passer. I just think he's the most versatile player as the as a big to play there. And he could probably play a little bit of four too. So I think Millsap's opportunity is certainly there as well. I don't know what you think, Lucas. What do you think about Millsap and a possible starting position? I agree with you in that I really like to see Millsap as the small ball, small ball, you know, he's 6'8", but the five uh, with Kevin Durant in the front court. Yep. Um, I think of all the big man pairings Millsap's, Millsap works with, it's Millsap and Claxton, because really at this point, Claxton is a, is a big wing that yep. doesn't really shoot the three ball. He's not going to be in drop. You know, if you have Millsap and LaMarcus Aldridge, you probably think, yeah, we can switch those, you know, big to big screens. But then are we having Millsap in drop when it seems like he fits the switching scheme much more and you want LaMarcus Aldridge guarding on the perimeter? Um, I don't really see Millsap starting other than injury and rest nights, which, you know, to be fair, there will probably be a lot of. Yep. Just because when you think about the Nets bench units, it's really two types of bench units. It's the Kyrie, Katie-led ones and then the Harden solo acts. Um, I don't think Millsap or, sorry, I don't think Aldridge fits with the Harden ones much. I think he's much more of a KD Kyrie compliment guy. So I can definitely see Aldridge sliding into um, Blake's position, as you mentioned, starting minutes, just because when they make that first set of rotations, it's easy to leave KD Kyrie um, Aldridge in there. And then once those minutes are up, pivot to a variety of big men that can yep. work with Harden. Because Harden really works with just about any of the Nets big men. I'd say the only fit I really question is Aldridge. Um, but I think Millsap is going to have a larger role on this team, honestly, than he had last year in Denver. Uh, he was only getting 15, 16 minutes a game, and that's probably what he'll get here. But he could be a guy, I think, um, if the matchups are right, you can give him 25, 26 minutes. Because when I honestly dug into the film, I was much more impressed than I think I, I anticipated I was going to be with, with him. Yeah, and I think also, like you mentioned before, is there's going to be nights where he's playing bigger minutes just because other guys are out. So you're going to depend on a specific guy a little bit more if, hey, you know, Blake's getting a rest night or Aldridge is getting a rest night. So I'm really interested to see how Millsap looks on the nets. Like you said, obviously, a lot of talk in Denver was that he was looking washed. And like you mentioned, Jack playing small ball five has been a little bit better for him. So seeing his fit and honestly just what the big man rotation is going to be like, minute allocation wise you know what i mean there's like four guys that they could really can play now it's kind of finding those combinations and working it every single night but talking about the bench what would be the best all bench lineup Ooh, the best all bench lineup i mean i think the locks so for this i'll assume everyone's fair game except for big three lamar or blake griffin and joe harris yep uh, so i think you got to include bruce brown has to be in that um 
and you know if Bruce Brown starts, then obviously it's Joe Harris. But it has to be Bruce Brown. You have to have Patty Mills in there. Uh, you have to have Paul Millsap in there. And then that's tricky because do you want to play Millsap with Aldridge? Uh, you know, if we just talked about that not being potentially a great fit, then it's probably Claxton instead of Aldridge or Claxton instead of Millsap. So right now I have Mills, Brown, and then two out of three of Aldridge, Millsap, Claxton. Um, that It's really that fifth spot when you think about the all-bench lineup. Um, you know, I don't know how many times we're going to see that, but this is where it gets fun. I mean, theoretically, you know, a, a guy like Kessler Edwards, I think, would be perfect. Uh, he's probably a little bit ways away. But that could be a um, DeAndre Bembry role. I mean, that lineup is pretty light on shooting, but they'd be pretty terrorizing defensively. Yeah, I mean, the the obvious sort of wingish guy is, is James Johnson in, in that sort of regard. And I, I, we don't know. I think that we've sort of fallen in love with him a little bit. He's, 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 he's throwing a lot of fun stuff out on Instagram. We believe a lot in him defensively. But like you mentioned, Lucas, the Nets' identity is predicated on offense. And, you know, we... Don't expect him to be Jeff Green on that side of the floor, but we want him to hit those open threes and such. And, you know, if you're playing him alongside Clax and Aldridge, you know, is there going to be three points? And, and Bruce, for, for that matter, you know, the, the, the identity of offense is certainly lost a little bit. But, you know, according to ESPN, the the, the projected five-man depth of lineup in, in terms of the benches is uh, Paddy Mills, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, uh, Paul Millsap and Nicholas Claxton. Now, I don't mind that balance there, to be honest. Uh, I think that that's that it's actually a decent enough lineup because obviously they have Blake and LMA starting, which we both, all three of us, totally don't really believe in. But I actually do like the balance of of that backup five. So uh, I think it's going to be a, a tricky one to sort of figure out. It, it has to be Paddy Mills. I think that is a, an absolute damn lock. It has to be Bruce Brown. That is an absolute damn lock. And then you've got the big men, and then you've got... You know, Kessler Edwards in, in two-way sort of nights. You've got maybe Cam Thomas in, in nights here and there. You've got Javon Carter as well, who I've who I've got in a lot of my sort of fun lineups. But do you want to play him alongside Bruce? I think you're probably good because I think Javon Carter is actually a decent three-point shooter. And Bruce has been working on it. We've seen Clax working on it. Obviously, you know, off-season video doesn't matter um, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination if we're to, you know, to take any of the, the learnings we have from the past couple of years. But in saying that, there's a lot of names that you could fit in there, but there are only a couple of locks. And I think the locks, as Lucas alluded to, it's it's Paddy Mills, it's a version of the big guys, and it's Bruce, and then obviously, you know, Joe Harris, depending if he starts or not. Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty spot on, guys. I mean, obviously, Paddy Mills, Bruce Brown, and I think it would be Millsap and Claxton. Obviously, in the situation where Marcus Aldridge starts, I think Claxton, Blake off the bench is a really nice combination that we've seen in the past work well. And, you know, I'd be obviously Cam Thomas, I'm not sure, is going to get in the rotation early. Javon Carter would be a guy I would consider just because he has a three point shooting. If you wanted to go bigger, you could go James Johnson. Like you kind of mentioned, Lucas DeAndre Bembray, the thing that would scare me would be like him and Bruce Brown not having that three point shot. And same thing with Clax out there. Now your spacing gets kind of a little rough. So. We're like you said, we're probably not going to see an all bench lineup. And if we do, it's going to be in a blowout and it's going to be mostly the young guys anyways. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm glad, Jack, you brought up James Johnson because I just fell victim to something I, I'm not really in love with people doing, which is I think in general fans are glossing over him. And maybe, you know, he doesn't contribute much this year. But 
let's say you throw out a lineup with Mills, Bruce Brown, and then you can go maybe Cam Thomas, James Johnson, and Paul Millsap. That's fun as hell. I love that yeah. lineup. And this this team is crazy, man. There are there are what fifteen guys right now that you like, including Carter and Bembry and guys like that, that you really wouldn't mind seeing on an NBA floor. Uh, almost any combination of those, almost any permutation within that fifteen is, is enjoyable. And I think there's a tendency to think, oh, you know, Mills, Brown, and, and and Carter, or Mills, Brown, and Thomas. That lineup is super small, but. If they're rolling out an all-bench lineup against presumably another team's, you know, 80%, 100% bench lineup, it's okay to have three guys under 6'4 these days. And, I mean, if you can score the ball at a, at a decent rate against most bench teams, it's going to be okay. I mean, I think one of the things I'd like, I, th- I guess, for fans and analysts to start talking about more is that bench basketball versus starting basketball is very different. The bench really has to excel in one area and hold water in another. So if the Nets can find bench units that are truly solid defensively with just enough three-point shooting, that's a recipe for success. You know, starter basketball, you know, it doesn't really work that way. There's more of a holistic approach, whereas you're really, I think, more narrow-minded when talking about what bench units work. Yeah, and like you kind of mentioned, they have a lot of different combinations they can throw out there to kind of match up what they need to against opposing benches. But talking offense, what would be the best offensive lineup the Nets could throw out there? I, I think Jack knows what, I, what I'm going to say. Me, uh, <laughs> Patty Mills, Joe Harris, man. I mean, it doesn't get much more ludicrous than that. Uh, I, I'll try to think of another one, but that, that's where my brain goes for now. Yeah, that one seems to be doing the rounds because it, it got a few responses when I put out like the the favorite lineup. So I, I saw it all also sort of you know around on Twitter yesterday. You know when there was talk about you know Clax and KD playing three to five. You know Harden, Patty, Kyrie, Joe, KD. That is just insane, and I don't think we see it regularly because you look if you're playing Joe as a power forward but we saw Joe play like a, a decent amount of power forward under Kenny as well for um, for that regard as well but if you're playing that against certain lineups dude that's like going to have 140 offensive rating and it's going to be genuinely unstoppable unstoppable because it's not just the I think the biggest thing the most underrated thing in that otherworldly offensive lineup is Patty Mills because Look, Matt Brooks dropped a good video. You know, I've, I've done a few articles on it as well. That Paddy Mills' ability to just play basketball and create for himself, create for others, create space for others is going to do so much. And you can, you've got Joe Harris that can do that as well. The amount of guard screening and the amount of space that would be open up for the superstars, as well as the openings on the perimeter for like Joe and Paddy. Um, I I need to see that lineup. I need Steve to put it out there. Give me five minutes of it. Give me three minutes of it. Um, and it's going to have like an otherworldly net rating for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the best five out lineups we could see all season from any team, just given that three-point shooting is amazing. You know, obviously you have multiple 40% three-point shooters and multiple guys that can create off the dribble and do their thing. So, I mean, that'd be awesome. Lucas, you got anything else you're thinking best offensive? I do, but the one thing I'll say before that is that what makes that lineup really unique is your two shooter types, you know, your two low usage players in that scenario are not catching, are not standstill guys. Yep. I wrote an article about Patty Mills and I talked about the thing that jumps off the page first is his short area burst and his ability to catch the ball in a full sprint 
turn towards the hoop and let it go. I mean, you need to have that when you're, you know, more of a shooting guard in these day, uh, in this era at six one or six, yeah, whatever he is. But Mills and Joe Harris will be active in that lineup. There's not, they're not just, you know, park them in the corner guys and they shoot 40%. You know, they're firing around screens, around curls. So there's a lot to like with that lineup. You know, if you want to, um, I mean, putting them in the same action together is just really Yeah, cool. I was just thinking of that. And then they both flare out to the perimeter and you've got James Hunt with the ball in his hands. I mean, James Hunt always makes the right decision whether and he you're drives. not coming off Katie or Kyrie. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, uh, look, I'm not going to say what's happening to my body as we talk about this, but it is certainly very explicit. <laughs> I hope, I, I think I think Steve Nash will at least try it out in a lower stakes game because if ever, if it's so clear that that is your most potent offensive lineup, you have to at least see. You have yeah. to at least try it out. You have to... Are we really getting killed on the glass? Can we really not guard? Are there are there unforeseen issues with this? Um, again, that when the, one of the benefits of having a team this good is that the regular season can be a bit of a playground. Yep. You want to be more comfortable with your roster going into the postseason and know what works versus, you know, even in the Nets case, having home court. Yeah. No, it's really true. Obviously, too, is like I could see that lineup in a situation where the Nets are down like 20 for whatever reason. They throw that out there. It's like a quick 15-0 run just because the offense has so much pop. But what right. else we think in other offensive lineups? Look, I think it has to have the, the superstar big three. But if we're talking about bench lineups, you know, the Harden-led bench lineups, you've got Harden, you've got Mills, you've got Harris, you've got, um, you've got KD, maybe a Harden-KD combination, and you throw in whatever sort of other guy. I, I think Bruce actually is underrated offensively. Um, and I'm intrigued to see what he can do with his three-point shot this year. You know, play him at a four, you play Joe at a four. Um, I think it's it's... The best offensive lineups have KD at the five, maybe Blake at the five, um, just because I think Blake is, has showed uh, at the most important times, you know, that three-point shooting was actually pretty good for him, uh, especially as a Brooklyn Net, including in the postseason. You know, he showed reliability there. He showed confidence there. Um, but it, at the same time, KD and Ella Mayers as a combination showed like great productivity. So I think that offensive combinations for the Nets here you know, whether it's small ball and, and it's sort of shooting, which we'll touch on a little bit, or whether it's just guys that can get buckets. You know, LMA can get a bucket with the big three and he throw in Joe Harris as well because, you know, his mid-range game, the Nets were like playing their offense through LaMarcus Aldridge uh, through certain stints of, of quarters, opening quarters and, um, you know, the start of thirds and, and those sort of things. So uh, I think that there is so many different iterations and variations because the amount of offensive talent here. It's truly scary. It's not just look. I'm not. We haven't even discussed the guy that won the MVP at summer league, scoring like the fourth best shooter, the fourth best scorer, sorry, of all time, and one of the best scorers in in freshman university college history. Um, there is so much wiggle, so much wiggle room um, that it is. It, it's so goddamn fun. Yeah, I mean. Any, I'm sorry to cut you off, Lucas. Any lineup you throw out there with Kyrie, Harden, Joe Harris, and KD, and whatever person you put at the five is going to be a top 10 offensive lineup for the Nets, which is probably better than almost every other team in the league, which is kind of just crazy to think at. The different variations they can throw out that are going to be so good. Or you swap, you know, Harris and Patty Mills, or there's other situations out there too. It's just insane how much offensive talent they have at so many positions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I think the one reason I'm struggling to think of another concrete lineup is because one dimension that you could add offensively that they don't really have, I'd say the only area of this roster I look at, and it's not an A plus is the rim rolling. Um, You know, the optimal version of the Deandre Jordan type, you know, if you will, what you would include Capella type as well. Yeah. Clint Capella types. If you invest, if you envision Jordan's, peak outcome with the Nets. So I, my mind honestly goes to, goes to a James Johnson. Um, and I, I think I agree with Jack that Bruce is an underrated offensive player, especially when he's playing next to four shooting threats. Yep. But if we're just talking about the best um, offensive lineup, you might trade some of James Johnson's, uh, you know, a little, he's a little, he's not quite as good of a cutter uh, finding space as Bruce Brown is, but then again, not many people are. But I think he makes up with, with for that just by being a, a more aggressive and more talented finisher at six nine. So if you you know envision a big three shooter James Johnson lineup, that could add another dimension to the offense. If you have a six nine guy just sharply cutting towards the rim, and if the help is late, it's going to be a dunk. Yeah. Uh, so as you guys said, there's it's just. I just want to see it already. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes you want to buy 2K and just mess with everything. I mean, even Clax is their rim roller. Like, obviously, he needs to put on more size. His vert is pretty good. His, I could see his chemistry with James Harden picking up. Like Jack's pointed out in previous episodes, it feels like they've been hanging out all summer. So that could definitely be like a nice little ad. And just touching on the Bruce Brown thing, like you guys said, it's so easy for Bruce on the short roll, like running the pick and roll with James Harden. You have KD, Joe Harris, and Patty Mills in a corner on the wing. Like... You're, it's going to be a really easy option for him to find whoever he needs to find. 
it's it's funny, Nick. Before we do move on, I guess I'll give in my research the best offensive four man and three man combinations that I was able to find in terms of you know net rating and all those sort of things. And there's probably better ones out there. There's probably smarter people who have done better work. But what I found in my research, the four man lineup, and these were both very surprising actually. It was Kyrie Irving, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, and Blake Griffin had in only eight, in only 83 minutes though, so small sample size had a 128.5 offensive rating. And then the three-man line, which had a 129.5 offensive rating, was Irving, Brown, and Griffin. So while we alluded to earlier, Bruce Brown and, and Blake Griffin couldn't necessarily work together. And look, three-man, four-man lineup combinations, I don't know how they're totally calculated, um, as well as probably you two are. Uh, but to me, that just stuck out. I was just like, damn, I didn't know that I actually did work. And look, maybe it's the, the fact that those guys know their role next to Kyrie Irving, and Kyrie Irving can just... Is just an otherworldly offensive player unto himself, um, and the, the the ability for for Bruce and uh, and Blake to get him in open spaces is is underrated. And you got Joe Harris hanging on the perimeter. Um, it just shows you that there's little wrinkles to this team that could be truly amazing that we're not even thinking about. Yeah. And it puts a lot of pressure on the other team to be prepared for so many different things, especially going to a playoff series. Like Lucas mentioned, you know, use the regular season as a playground, test out all these different things. You get into the postseason. Now you have so many things in your bag that you could just really throw at anybody. But switching to the other side of the ball, best defensive lineup the Nets can throw out there. Uh, in terms of locks for this one, Claxton is pretty obvious. Just as the big wing, you assume they're going to switch. Uh, and he's built for that. You got to have Kevin Durant out there. Um, and then this could be a uh, I, this could be a James Johnson situation because right there you know you have three six eight six nine guys that all fit the uh, the switch all scheme. Bruce Brown has to be out there just in terms of being a menace at the point of attack. Uh, he's probably their best option on the smaller, quicker guards that we see. Which, as a, as a side note, is incredible for a guy with his build because he's not the typical. You know, when you think of guys that really lock up at the point of attack, you think of the long, wiry, Deontay Murray-type bodies. Yep. Bruce Brown is not that. I mean, he's a fullback out there. Obviously, he's an NBA player with long arms, but the shoulders, you think of that as a guy that can guard up positions. And he, while he certainly can, I really didn't know how active his feet were and his hands were 25 feet away from the basket. So right now, I have Bruce Brown, Claxton, KD, maybe a James Johnson, um, and then a lineup that you could actually throw out there, uh, you know, with enough offensive punch, that last guy could be Kyrie, but it could also, if we're strictly talking defense, could be a Javon Carter. Yeah, that's who I was thinking. And I think Kyrie showed enough defensively last year to, to when he's engaged. He can be, you know, pretty feisty there. And I think that a lot of those instances when were the, you know, Harden or, or Durant were injured and it, required him to be a leader across the floor. And, you know, I, I just, it is intriguing. Kyrie and Bruce as a, a little bit of a defensive backcourt. I think that there is plenty there. But Carter and, and Brown, try and get past that. Yeah. Like, seriously. Carter's going to be guarding you 120. He's going to be guarding you while you're in the goddamn locker room. You're not getting <laughs> out, you know, with your jersey tucked in with, with, with that guy's guarding you, as well as Bruce Brown. So I think that that's the best defensive lineup and you throw. Obviously, Clax is our probably our most promising defender. And KD is probably the best, most reliable defender. Um, and maybe a better post defender than Nicholas Claxton in, in that regard as well. So... I think that the all defense is is, is like um, Lucas alluded to with you know Carter Brown 
KD, Clax, um, and James Johnson in, as your sort of three-man front court. Um, and that would be... And you've still got enough offense there because we know what KD can do solo. And I think KD and Bruce showed some really nice chemistry in the postseason. Like I said, I like Javon Carter more than probably a lot of other people do. And if James Johnson's hitting his three ball um, and Clax is, you know, uh, being a menace and, and providing and continuing to work better as a screener, which I think he showed glimpses of as well, I think there's still enough offense there as well. So, um, I mean, KD is an offense unto himself. You could have thrown, you know, you could have thrown out of Kevin Durant and threw in a James Harden, and, and that five man lineup is, is a lineup we could see as a sort of bench lineup as well. So, there's a, a lot of promise there defensively, despite you know all the offensive talent on the roster too. Yeah, I got exactly what you guys have. Obviously, Carter, Brown, KD, Johnson, and Clax. I mean, there's just a great combination of like quickness, toughness, and length in this lineup. You know, you have in the feistiness of a guy like Carter and Brown and even James Johnson just kind of getting in there. And like you said, Jack, any lineup that has Kevin Durant's going to be able to score some offense. It might not be super smooth as some of the other offensive lineups, but... Still plenty of stuff. And I'd say, like, honorable mention would maybe be DeAndre Bembray if he makes the team. Mm-hmm. He'd be another guy that really can just get into it with you. So, other than Is that, I'll uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to throw a name out there. If you were to supplant James Johnson and Paul Millsap, now we yeah. do, I think Lucas was probably about just on the same card. Um, do we have any faith in Paul Millsap to be? a continued quality defender at, what is it, age 36, 37 now. I'm not sure, but I'm still, I've still got hopes there. I don't know what you, you seem to be on this. He's got the IQ. What do you think, Lucas? Oh, I was going to bring up that exact point. I would say to make that lineup more offensively viable without cheating and, you know, replacing Carter with Kyrie. I think Paul Millsap can give you a decent bit of what James Johnson can while being a much more complimentary fit offensively. Um, I actually have a video coming out for the Nets Republic YouTube channel on Paul Millsap, and I won't get too far into that, but one of the things that jumped out to me was that he still uh, is a very active help defender. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the, with, what, with what he's lost in the athleticism department, obviously since his Hawks and especially his Jazz days, he just makes up for it with such a um, understanding of the game, where to be, uh, offensive concepts, you know, from the defensive point of view. And something that the Nets really do for their stars and for all their players on defense is they simplify the game. And for a guy like Millsap, whose brain is already working so fast, when the game becomes simpler, when it slows down, when the other team is, is dragged into more isolation possessions because of the Nets all switching lineup, it makes his reads a lot easier, and I think mm. that'll make him an even more prominent defender because last year in the playoffs, when you sort of reached the the peak of the Millsap is washed, you got to take him off the court noise, the Nuggets were having him trap the ball handler 30 feet from the rim. Show and recover and all this sort of stuff. Bring his ass across the court like he's playing, you know, JV at, at Newton High School. Um <laughs> he's not going to be doing that in Brooklyn. I have faith in him as a defender, and I think there's more there on tape, um, more good on tape than I I anticipated. So you replace Johnson with him in that all-defensive lineup, I think it makes it more viable offensively, and I don't think you lose too much. Uh, the front court of Millsap, Claxton, and KD, I really, really, really hope we get to see this year. I That is a threesome I'm very interested in. 
And I think we will. I would hope at some point to see it. And like you said, even Millsap gives you kind of maybe a more of a truer big than James Johnson as well, just with some of his strength. But Johnson's obviously no slouch in that area too. But like you said. To touch on Millsap, sorry, Nick, as well. You could play him at the five and in an iteration of the the names that we just just discussed. Javon Carter, Bruce Brown, James Johnson at the three, KD at the four, or interchange them at the three and the four. And you got Millsap at the five. That could be intriguing defensively as well because... You know, you, whether Millsap's playing, you know, an individual drop or he's switching or whatever, you know, the like Lucas was was mentioning, when you're playing along Nikola, uh, alongside Nikola Jokic, and a lot of the lineups he was there, he was playing as a four, and he was asked to do so much, whereas Nikola Jokic was able to drop back and show, you know, obviously some some progression defensively, but the you know complexity of their defense is because that Nikola Jokic isn't a great defender, but if you've got a good defensive lineup, and you've got simpler defensive principles, which the Nets do have. You know, I don't see them changing anything, despite the fact that their coaching personnel has changed. Um, I think it's we're, we might be surprised by uh, Paul Millsap as a defender, and at the five, I'm intrigued by it as well. Yeah, no, I'm obviously that's another great combination you could throw out there. But moving on from there, guys, what would you say is the best two-way lineup? So the lineup that has the most, the I guess the most two-way players? Okay. Um, I think we have to, obviously, KD is a lock. Yep. Uh, and it feels cheating with the big three. So maybe after this, I'll think of a lineup that only has one or two of those stars. But when you have the big three in there, um, you know, you, you I tend to want to lean Paul Millsap. Um, again, I think he's probably a better defender than Blake Griffin at this point. Uh Obviously, with guys in their mid to late 30s, and even Blake Griffin, who's in his early 30s, I think, but with the injury history he has, you know, it's hard to account for year-to-year regression uh, that we don't see, obviously, in the offseason. But if you're talking about the big three in Millsap, um, I, I might be tempted to put Bruce Brown in there. I mean, yeah. Joe Harris is not a bad defender by any means. Uh, I would say he's probably league average, if not slightly, if not above. Um through no fault of his own, really, because you can trust him in schemes. He's just not going to make a lot of alter game-altering individual plays. But I think, again, in a space-style lineup, you really don't have to worry about Bruce Brown's offense uh, because he just does so many of those other little things, like screen-setting and rolling, and then on the defensive end, we know who he is, where he is a two-way player. Uh, I think there's a tendency to, you know, sort of, categorize guys that don't really shoot as you know defense first this and that just because bruce brown's offensive game is not very conventional for a dude who's six three six four does not mean that he doesn't have an offensive game there's a reason not every six three six four guy in the league can do what he does that takes you know a special and very specific type of offensive awareness um so those are my that right now would be my gut answer the big three bruce and Millsap, but um there's definitely, with 15 guys, you can definitely think of a few more options for sure. Nick, I was going to ask you, if you're sort of using the names that sort of Lucas has mentioned there, you know, KD, Joe, Millsap, and Bruce, Harden or Kyrie, who is the better defender? Who would fit better with that lineup? I think that's a discussion that's worth having. I think, obviously, we know all about Harden's post-defense. It's been done to death. I think it's obviously almost done too much, if, if in all honesty, but... You know, sometimes, you know, out on the perimeter, you could probably attack him. And you could do the same with Kyrie because of his lack of size um, as well and some of the times of his lack of engagement and awareness. 
who do you think would fit better in that lineup? And who do you think, I guess, is the better defender? You know, if we're going all defense, as is, as is your question. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is a really tough question, Jack, because you look at Kyrie, probably point of attack is better, moves his feet better, quicker guy than James Harden, like you said, with the strength. I think he's... He has his issues off ball, but at the same time, he can be active with his hands. He's really good at stealing the basketball. Um, I'd probably lean towards James Harden just because it'd probably be a little bit easier to hide him. And then if he gets to switch onto a big, you feel more comfortable with him being able to kind of handle that where we saw even last year in the playoffs, Drew Holiday just go at Kyrie and post him up and get a quick two buckets. You know what I mean? So I'd probably lean towards Harden in the best two-way lineup. And if I had to do a lineup without Kyrie, you know, Maybe something like uh, Lucas was talking about. You'd have, you know, Harden, KD, Bruce, Millsap, and then maybe it's Joe Harrison there, or you could go with another big. Maybe it's Blake. Yeah, I think Blake's worth uh, mentioning because he did show. While I still have questions about his rebounding, uh, he did sort of, you know, put some of those questions at ease, you know, when it did matter. And I think in a full off season, he's looking in great shape, as are a lot of the other Nets players. But I, yeah, I think that. I think Kyrie, to make the case for Kyrie, some of the blocks that he had last year, and again, it's just one part of the defensive side of the floor, but you know the level of athleticism that that guy has as a 6'2", 6'3", sort of guy is truly remarkable. And you know, there were times where you know he was you know guarding guys on, on, on the recovery and just swatting shots away. I, I agree that Harden is a better stealer um, in terms of just that one primary defensive skill, but I think Kyrie um, as just offensive, uh, sorry, just as a, in terms of athleticism um, and, and verticality and, 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 and sort of like, you know, um, lateral quickness. I think Kyrie's got a little bit there, whereas Han is much more strong, stagnant um, and handsy. So I think that there is a case there for, for Kyrie Irving um, in some worlds. I, I agree. Uh, one, one interesting thought that I had last year is if we're just talking about hands, being able to strip, get hands in passing lanes. Kyrie and Arden might be the best defensive backcourt in the league, which is a pretty hilarious thought uh, when you consider their overall defensive acumen. Um, you know, some of the blind reach-ins, slaps at the balls uh, Harden makes are just, are just silly. Um, but to answer your question, I would probably go Kyrie just because I think it's easier to exploit poor perimeter defense in today's NBA than it is to exploit poor post-up defense. And again, if Kyrie on a lot of bigger players, guarding them in the post is a mismatch. But if you're, if the opposing offense is hell-bent on posting up as a primary source of offense, to an extent, you've won as a defense. Um, but I think that's a good question, and I think it's close. Um, I think a lot I, depends on matchup, too, because you could see yeah. certain teams. Like, for example, we saw the Clippers. Like Kawhi just win it, got the switch on Kyrie every single time. Bucket, 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 bucket. And obviously, like you said, if you're switching them to kind of ISO or post, it's a win. But depending on the player, because if of it's course. Kawhi Leonard, then it's, you know, obviously it's an L. Yeah. And, and we saw that with Blake Griffin. Matched yep. up really well with Giannis. Uh, Tatum, Kemba Walker attacking him off switches. It was, it was great. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's really, sorry, really very matchup heavy. It is. It's Sean Marks and Steve Nash calling him right now about some of the defensive lineups that Lucas <laughs> has up his sleeve already. But, um, Jack, anything else in the two-way lineups? Anything else you think and anything crazy? Look, I, I'm not going to make the argument for LaMarcus Aldridge as much as, like, you know, the, some of his guarding on Giannis was surprisingly great. 
Um, but he might be the most sturdy, solid, big man, you know, sort of center in that sort of iteration. But he would have to be doing his own thing in a scheme where it's like an individual sort of drop like DeAndre used to do. Whereas um, Paul Millsap out of five, which we're all big fans of, it seems, you know, would be show more versatility. Blake, I think, has even got more versatility than Lamarcus Aldridge. And we know Clax, obviously, as a five, who can who's basically a wing. But you might lose a little bit in terms of, like, if he's guarding a, a Joel Embiid, if he's guarding a Nikola Jokic, you would rather have Lamarcus Aldridge out there. You'd rather have Blake Griffin out there. So, again, it is... While we like to be as binary as possible and we want to think that we live in this sort of binary world, but we don't, especially in, in every iteration, but that includes basketball. Everything is dependent on what the opposition is doing. It's it's depending on like balance, all those sort of little things here and there. So I think it's worth sort of throwing in different things and having you know, pretty in-depth discussions like we are having because it provides nuance to what is generally... You know, everyone's just like, oh, it's got to be big three, this and that. And it's like, no, you can have different iterations that can get the best out of the role players as well, get the best out of, you know, your Nicholas Claxton, you put him alongside, you know, James Harden and these sort of things. You don't want him next to Kyrie, who's probably not necessarily the best passer in the pick and roll, those sort of things here and there. We need to sort of discuss it, and that's why it's really good that we've got a guy like Lucas who I trust anyone out in terms of discussions about individual players and depth and balance and those sort of things. Um, it's really good to have this discussion, um, and I'm glad we are having it before the season comes because hope Steve Nash and, and Sean Marks are listening, <laughs> that's for sure. I hope, I hope they are too. One thing I'll add to that is there will be teams that they play that sorely lack in, in the pull-up shooting department. And therefore, it makes a guy like Aldridge much more viable. You yeah. know, if you have a big, stocky post-up player, um, you know, I think about if the Nets had played last year's Memphis Grizzlies. You need size to deal with Valanciunas, and you're okay with the Memphis guards, Morant, Dylan Brooks, taking pull-up 18-footers. You want to goad them into those shots because you're not playing the Suns with, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So your best defensive lineup in that scenario it might include LaMarcus Aldridge. If he can have five, six, seven-minute stretches of solid drop defense, which we did see in his uh, you know limited stint with the Nets last year, um, then your best defensive, defensive lineup sure as hell might include him, and it'll probably include Bruce Brown, who's really good shimmying around screens, bothering guys. When Kyrie's engaged, he's pretty good at that too. So I agree with Jack's point completely. Uh, it is more matchup-dependent especially on the defensive end. Uh, the Nets are two very different teams on those two different sides of the court. Yeah. It doesn't really yeah. matter who they're playing against offensively. You're going to run out who they are. But on defense, you know, you have to account for matchups. And that is one of the things I love about this Nets roster. They're going to be able to. Like I said, you know, at least in the regular season, there are 14, 15 guys that are not going to make me sweat if I see them getting real minutes. Yep, and I think that's one of the advantages over last year's team. Like you said, the defensive matchups they can throw out there, we know what the big three is going to do. Now the option of the other two guys, you have so many combinations. We were going to touch on the best three-point shooting lineup, but I think we already established that, you know, Kyrie, Patty Mills, James Harden, Joe Harris, and Kevin Durant, unless you guys have anything else you want to throw out there three-point shooting-wise. Oh, bro, that's just, <laughs> again, every time you say that line, oh, no, maybe Kelly Cam gets thrown in there in some iteration and you make Nets Twitter explode and you ex replace him with Joe Harris. Or I mean, Joe Harris is the best three-point shooter, but if we're talking all offense and, and that sort of thing, um, man, it's, again, every time I hear that lineup, it just makes my brain explode. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe, you know, other iterations of that lineup if you want to take James Harden out, um, not because he's a poor three-point shooter or anything, but just because if you want Kyrie handling the ball more, Harden is probably the weakest catch-and-shoot guy yep. of that. Not because he doesn't make them. He really just doesn't seem comfortable as much taking them. So if you want to have, you know, Kyrie, Patty, KD, and um, Joe Harris – it's it's really your fifth pick of the other guys. It could be a, a, a Cam Thomas. Um, it could be even a Lamarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin, depending yep. on who's yep. having a hot stretch from three. You know, if Blake Griffin is ten of nine of twenty one over his last four games from three, then it's him, and he's comfortable taking those catch and shoot threes. So they're gonna make a lot of threes this year. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, I think LaMarcus shot like a crazy rate. Obviously, it was a super small yeah. sample size, but he was like shooting like 50% from three. And obviously, he has pretty smooth jumper. So that'd be fun. But next, we're going to look at some lineups and kind of what the best lineups would be against these contenders. Obviously, most likely in a closing situation. Uh, do you guys want to kick it off against the Lakers? What do you think is the best lineup the Nets could throw at the Lakers last three minutes of the NBA Finals? This is a really fun question because the Lakers have – to answer this question probably even more so than yep. the Nets. Um, when you, you know, the Lakers lineup is just as set as the Nets in terms of it's going to be Russ, AD, and LeBron. Even if Russ isn't the cleanest fit with those two guys, they didn't trade for him and yeah. they're not paying him that much money to have him sit the last four minutes like he's 2018 D'Angelo Russell or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> No shade. No shade. No shade. That, if anything, that's uh, that's Kenny's shade. But uh, I love that. <laughs> um, uh, if they're if they're playing a smaller shooting heavy lineup with AD at the five and they throw a Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk type, I could see them going Russ, Ellington if they trust him more than Monk, Ariza, LeBron, AD, or, or Mellow LeBron, AD, something like that. Then you figure the Nets probably put Blake on Anthony Davis, that just seems like they're, all right, he can do enough to stop the Giannis AD types of the world where we're not consistently bleeding points. He can make them think a little taking charges and give us enough back on the offensive end. So you would assume it'd be the big three, um, Blake. And again, it's, uh, it's Joe Harris or Bruce Brown, depending on the situation. I'd probably want Joe Harris last three minutes, game seven of the finals just because I trust him um, to space the floor and the defense can't just funnel open shots to Bruce Brown, completely ignore him, as well as LeBron is going to pick on who's ever on the court. Bruce Brown's a great defender. Last three minutes of the finals, LeBron's going to try to pick on him just as he is yep. going to try to pick on Joe Harris. So I think the difference on the defensive end is less wide than it would be with Joe Harris spotting up on the wing versus Bruce Brown trying to find a lane to to cut through for for an for a layup with you know the the game on the line. Especially would you would expect you know AD to shade off of Blake and give up that shot and provide the help defense, so then you're not really getting those open shots for Bruce, like you said. And Joe would provide a ton of pressure on them defensively. Just even if he's not hitting his shots, you still have to respect it to an extent. Jack, what are you thinking? Look, me and um, look, it might be a different answer for the Bucks because we did see what Joe Harris was like defensively against Milwaukee, so we might have to change that answer. But I think that the only other name that is probably worth mentioning here is Paul Millsap. Now, do you replace Paul Millsap with Joe Harris? Do you replace him with Bruce Brown? I think Millsap can do 
enough for a couple of possessions on AD as well. Enough for a couple of positions on possessions on LeBron, whose uh, offensive game is you know predicated a lot in the post um, these sort of days. So I think that it's worth you know putting Paul Millsap's name in there. I don't think Lamarcus is at that sort of range yet, but we could be surprised and and go well. Lamar and to the level that we were surprised about with Blake Griffin, it was just like when we were previewing last year's Milwaukee series, we're just like, man, are we going to see DeAndre against you know Giannis? And it was just like, nope, we're going to trust Blake. And Blake was mate. And look, Giannis still got his own, and he figured out you know some few things towards the latter points of that series. But you know, Blake and Millsaps gives you size and toughness in a similar realm to what the Lakers used to have, um, which is uh, almost a, a little bit of a funny sort of you know, facsimile. Um, but yeah, I think that there is, it, you could have Bruce and Millsap out there at the same time as well, because if Millsap's three-point shot is is falling a little bit more, um, and we do see growth there for, from Bruce, which, you know, his mechanics are fine. So uh, I hope that we do see, even if at 35% this year on two and a half attempts. So it's going to be about what those guys can do offensively. But Millsap is certainly worth you know, a couple of possessions here and there. I think he's certainly lost a little bit, but what the Lakers are going to want to be doing a lot of the time is you know, offense in the post. Um, and obviously, it's going to be hard to do that with Russell Westbrook out there, so it makes things easy for the Nets. But I think Millsap is one of their better post defenders, um, and we know Harden is as well in, in that respect. But yeah, I think Millsap's uh, worth uh, throwing his, his, his name in the hat. Yeah, obviously, I uh, kind of led the situation of being, you know, last three minutes of the NBA Finals. It would definitely be a veteran. In some perfect world where this player took the strides I wanted them to t- take, it would probably be Nicholas Claxton. Yeah. And, yeah, that's if everything kind of popped off and he, his offensive game was able to have an impact on the other end of the floor because I think defensively his body type against Anthony Davis is great, but I don't know if he's strong enough at this point. So maybe that's something we could see in the regular season, not in the finals. But that'd be a pretty fun matchup, too. And then you could even pair him with Millsap if you wanted to, to have more size and still keep the shooting. Or you could go with the Joe Harris option as well. You know, of all the contenders that they could face, LaMarcus Aldridge interests me the most against the Lakers. I mean, this could easily be a thing that I think about myself saying eight months from now and laugh at. Um, but the, what, the Lakers don't have a lot of pull-up shooting. So if you want, yeah. if, if you're worried about... LeBron coming and they have somebody who's really easy to bait into bad pull-up shooting. (laughs) They do, they do. So you can you could play under screens and drop. You could go an extremely conservative defense, park Lamarcus in the paint, and direct who's ever guarding LeBron and Russ to uh, to go under screens. Because I know this isn't necessarily Game Seven of the NBA Finals, but even a regular season game. Yep. It's the same story with LeBron since he was 18. If he's gonna beat you. It's going to be you shooting outside shots. Same thing with Russ. Um, and if, if you want to turn Anthony Davis into a jump shooter, which other than the bubble, I think has always been the correct way to play him. Maybe you want to throw just pure size at him. Maybe he doesn't want to bang down in the post, which... He definitely does not want to bang down <laughs> in the post. <laughs> if there's ever been a part of his game that's worth questioning, it's his want to bang with a, a guy like LaMarcus, who's 6'11", 7 feet, 270. So I don't know how viable LaMarcus is versus the Bucks. I don't think he is versus the Heat, not to spoil anything yet. But I'm going to keep that nugget just in, in the back of my mind. Um, we'll see if he has a role against the Lakers. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think that with the you know, departure of Danny Green you know, a couple of years ago and the departure of KCP, there is no lethal three-point shooting. Yes, Wayne Ellington is there. 
But you know how about if they have I, to play I, Ellington in the last three minutes of the finals? I think you feel pretty good about on the other end of the floor. Absolutely, because the Nets' ability to hunt the switch is pretty goddamn awesome. Um, Evan Fournier is still on his knees praying to, to Jesus <laughs> and God, whatever deity it is, after Kyrie and, and what James Harden did to him. So, yeah, I think that the, almost in in ways. The Lakers, like Lucas sort of alluded to, are a better matchup in a lot of ways and give the Nets more defensive options because of the fact that their front court is so stacked. You know, James Johnson is a name you can throw out there for a few possessions on LeBron James too. So there is just so many guys. It's just like, damn, the Nets actually got some stuff here. I can't remember how indicative of this was, but the Nets were, I think, fourth in uh, defensive rating, you know, in the postseason. So obviously 23rd in the regular season. So nothing to really cry home about. But we know how good they are and how good they can be when it does matter on the defensive end. You know, in, in, in possessions that do matter, in games that do matter, the Nets have got some options and they have strengthened that department since last year. You know, we're talking about a defensive team that was basically, its best defensive player was Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin. And, you know, we got iterations of Bruce Brown, a little sparingly, a little bit of salt here and there, but we barely saw Nicholas Claxton. And we expect Nicholas Claxton to take a jump up and really sort of put his name forward. So um, the Nets defensively are intriguing. Yeah, uh, they have more tools this year. Yep. And the whole calculus changes if the Lakers go AD at the four, which they're very liable to do. But again, like you said, the Nets have... Nets have options for that. Maybe Aldridge becomes even more viable. Maybe Aldridge and Claxton or, or something like that. So it'll be it'll be fun. Um, I do like that you brought up Bruce Brown uh, and said that we didn't maybe get the full experience because last year for Bruce Brown, his first year on the team, COVID year, no training camp, no preseason, condensed schedule. Same thing with Claxton, whose rookie year was ended by the beginning of COVID and an injury. This there could be more in-house development than I think Nets fans and fans across the league for that matter, yeah. uh, maybe are prepared for. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on the guys who this is their first real NBA season, real NBA season. Uh, how, how, how much do they improve? Yeah. I think that's, what's the really interesting with Nick Clax and obviously Bruce Brown, you know, he's, can still develop a clax getting his first real nba offseason just from the weightlifting alone and like just where he can develop his game a little bit more should be fun but moving on to the next team a team that the nets know pretty well now the milwaukee bucks how would they close a game against the bucks in the last three minutes uh with 10 healthy legs i hope <laughs> hopefully more than 10 healthy legs they have um, we need just four of them for god's sake <laughs> and two of those have to be kevin durant that's as simple as that because, you know, despite the fact that Joe Harris was healthy and other guys were healthy, you know, it was just, as, as long as Kevin Durant's legs are healthy, that's all that matters. But, yeah, Lucas, what do you think? And obviously we, we saw what we saw last year, but, you know, like we sort of alluded to just then, the Nets now got a, a few extra bodies to throw at Giannis. And, I mean, we did discuss a little bit in the mailback episode in terms of the matchups and, and those sort of things. But what do you think? In, is, does Blake have to be out there because of what we saw in the postseason? Can you throw some other bigs out there? Does Clax have an opportunity? This is where I wish either Blake or Millsap or they had one more pick and pop shooter. Um, just because I think it would make Brooke Lopez in, in the deep drop um, even more just of a risk against the Nets. And he played well. Especially, close out that series, Brooke Lopez was pretty awesome for the Bucks. I think pretty easily their second best player when you account for the shooting stinkers that, you know, Drew and Middleton had. But um, 
They, I, I would maybe lean Millsap over Blake, but we know that Blake can have some some success, you know, guarding Giannis one-on-one. Um, one thing I think was really interesting about Suns Bucks versus Nets Bucks, you could tell Blake was making Giannis think with his strategy of, of not embracing contact, trying to draw charges. Giannis seemed just more unsure of himself, didn't know how to adapt to that in the first, you know, four or five games of the series. Whereas Aiton, a guy who doesn't have Blake's veteran savvy, whatever you want to call it, trying to muscle him up, that's just a, a one. That's just a direct challenge to Giannis's manhood, and that uh, is not going to end well. But anyway, I would say big three is a lock. I would say you hope this is a series where Claxton takes enough of a development. Um, I'm not crossing my fingers for that, just because Claxton on Middleton I think is the perfect matchup. I think that as much as you can have you know, a shutdown corner NFL, don't throw to this side of the field guy against Middleton. Clax is that guy. Um, it's the perfect offense-defensive uh, matchup where you really want to get into Middleton to prevent him to, to sort of disrupt his handles while having the length to contest his shots, you know, a la a, a mini KD, as some people have said. But I also don't think you give up on, on Joe Harris. I mean, if you if you roster him. You don't trade him after the terrible postseason, which, again, I, I don't think they should have done or anything. But if you keep him and you pay him, you got to play him. So I think it's big three, Joe and Blake. Ultimately, that was a long-winded way of saying there just wasn't enough from last year to make you reconsider their initial strategy against Milwaukee. Uh, it seemed to be working just fine. Uh, and, yeah, there were things they could have improved upon, mistakes they made. But ultimately – they have to be pretty optimistic after what they saw. And that's probably the lineup they closed game one with, right? I would have to think. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, they couldn't really close I, it. Without like, James Harden. Yeah, no James yeah. Harden. I think it was like 15 to 30 seconds that it, yeah. it was James Harden that was out there. Who do you oh. think they did close with in game one then? Obviously, Kyrie, KD. It was probably Bruce, I would assume. I would, yeah, yeah, I would say Bruce. And, and I think that that's probably the name that you throw in there, you know, Lucas was sort of alluding to uh, against Middleton, who, you know, who is the name? And Bruce was getting a lot of those assignments. Uh, again, I'm going to be the Paul Millsap stand, I guess, of, <laughs> of Nets Twitter and, and especially of the Brooklyn Buzz. But I think Millsap and Blake is a, an iteration worth considering, I think, a front court of KD, Blake, and Millsap. You know, there's a lot of size there. There's a lot of toughness there. You know, Kevin Durant doesn't have, you know, Bruce Brown's shoulders, but he is strong. He is sturdy. You know, there were possessions where he was blocking Brook Lopez in the post, and there were possessions where Brook Lopez was getting his own as well. So I think that those are the names that are worth chucking in there. I don't think that there's a world where LA is, you sort of throw him him there. I think that that's what sort of what Lucas was touching on, um, where he's, he's better matchup is against a, a team like the Lakers and, and maybe the Sixers, depending on, you know, if you consider them a contender still. I don't, I, maybe James Johnson. I think that that's the only other name I would throw in there just as pure defensiveness because we don't really need any other offensive guys and it sort of harks back to our defensive conversation there. Um, I don't think Javon Carter is going to be out there because of, you know, his lack of size. And, you know, if it was against, you know, the Golden State Warriors uh, and teams that have stacked backcourts, maybe Javon Carter gets a, a little bit of a go. Um, and then we haven't touched on at all, and it's, it's it's not going to happen, but I need to throw in there, and I will throw in there uh, for conversations um, in terms of favorite lineups. Sekou Demboya. I, don't, I just wanted to throw his name out there just for now, a name to consider. 
not for a name to consider in the postseason, but just for a name to consider in our future discussions uh, when we're not talking about contenders and we're talking about pure enjoyment and, and aesthetics. Um, but who knows? You know, the, the Nets know how to how to um, develop guys. Their coaching staff has been tremendous. You know, their hit record, it's essentially Jean and Musa and Rodion's courts are the only guys that haven't showed a semblance of development under the uh, Brooklyn Nets training and coaching staff. So, Seiku, who knows what could happen by game 82. Yeah, but just getting back to the Bucks point real quick, we'll we'll talk Seiku in a little bit. Um, like you kind of hinted at, Lucas, even closing with the big three plus Blake and Clax, if Clax is able to take those strides, because like you said, you get the Middleton defender, you also have Blake as the Giannis defender, or you could even swap in Millsap in that situation, and then you put KD on Brook Lopez like we saw last year, and then the other matchups you feel okay about. So that definitely be something. The, the Bucks might be one team where I definitely would consider the Nets playing two bigs possibly just yep. because of how much the Bucks hurt the Nets in the rebounding department, especially late in games. Just yep. all those offensive rebounds really, really hurt and maybe was the difference in the Nets winning a championship last year. So that would be an option, especially with Brooke Lopez and obviously Giannis being just a monster. But And, um, and on, on Clax, I guess, was one final point on him. You know, obviously he was you know out of the rotation by that point in time, but when he was guarding Giannis on the perimeter, you know, his his ability there was outstanding. We saw probably, I mean, Clax had so many great individual defensive possessions last year, but maybe his best was that one in the postseason against Giannis where Giannis gets in, gets by him a little bit, but Clax's recovery was insane, like absolutely amazing. And that's what you get when you have a Nicholas Claxton out there on the floor. Yeah, 100%. And obviously, you know, if he can take those strides, he could be a real impact defender on multiple guys. And he obviously provides you, you know, other aspects. It's just like, what can he do offensively? Is that just make life so much easier for the Bucks? But what are what other contenders do you guys want to talk about? I'm trying to think in terms of the, I mean, Miami is probably a, a team you want to touch on, maybe Boston, but we sort of saw, you know, what the Nets did with Boston, you sort of just throw in Jalen Brown for Evan Fournier, um, and, and that's basically what the Boston Celtics were. I think that the Nets, I think Miami is going to give them the toughest time because it's, you know, it's PJ Tucker, it's all these sort of gritty defensive sort of dudes, but I, I don't know, who do you think are the next best contenders, Nick? Honestly, that's why I asked you the question, because I really don't know. I mean, you look at the Sixers, but their whole situation with Ben Simmons is pretty screwed up right now. So I'm not sure where they're going to be at by the time the season starts. You look at other teams like the Warriors, you're not really sure about Klay Thompson. You kind of look to just like you said, the Miami Heat or even the Phoenix Suns. You know, obviously they went to the finals last year. So, I mean, those matchups. I was just going to sort of throw in there. Do you think that there's a need to change anything? in as dramatic a way as sort of with the Lakers and the Bucks, well, they, can they just be the best version of themselves? Not necessarily think about because, look, DeAndre Ayton is a talented player, but I don't think you're changing your game for him. I think yeah. Lucas was sort of touching on, you know, the ability of, of pull-up shooting, so maybe throw in Bruce there to go on a Booker, to go on a, a Chris Paul to make life tough for them. Um, so I think that it's about the wrinkles, whereas, you know, Miami are just so goddamn tough defensively. I'm not as uh, optimistic on their offense, you know, especially if PJ Tucker's out there. Um, and look, if Bam Adebayo makes some strides, then maybe I do change my mind on that. But their three-point shooting is basically Duncan Robinson and who else? I'm not I'm not really sure you know, if Tyler Hero does make some strides and whoever else is your sort of fifth starter. So I think that there's only little things about those teams that it's just like, okay, but the Nets have those sort of guys that it's just like, well, the Nets don't really need to change anything from their own part because at their best, teams will be adjusting to them. 
But if there are you know reasons or positions where they need to do so, they can go, okay, Bruce, let's get a couple of possessions on, on Devin Booker, make life hell for him. Clack, uh, let's throw you out there for a couple of possessions on Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, whoever else it might sort of be. Um, I think the Nets just have options, whether it's individually, you know, just to go, all right, you're making life tough for us. Well, we can throw counters to you as well. We've got that in our in our arsenal. I think even with some of those other teams, like we mentioned, Jack, you could see the Nets get more creative where they have some small ball options where maybe they can't throw those lineups against the Lakers or Bucks, and they could play, you know, Kevin Durant at the five or something along those lines and kind of just even get crazier, especially against the Warriors. I think where that's where you could really see some like incredible offensive pop where maybe even that offensive lineup we talked about earlier uh, could actually see the floor in like a big playoff game. But uh, Jack, any other contenders you want to touch on? Look, Nick, I, th- I think that it's probably not at this point in time. You know, if we're talking about, I think it might be worth touching on just Joel Embiid because we don't know what's going to happen with the Ben Simmons. By the time this episode drops, we probably will know because it always happens, the, the Brooklyn Buzz trade curse or just transaction curse, if you want to call it that. But what do you think about Joel Embiid as an individual entity? And obviously his dominance is... Is pronounced. I have an utmost respect for him, even if I hate him with a, a, a desire and passion. Ever since uh, he did our guy uh, Jared Allen dirty, what do you think? Is it is it just you know what the Nets do against the the Bucks with Brook Lopez and and, and Giannis under the Kumpo? You know, it's Blake and it's the you know rotating the the bigs. Who is the best individual matchup for Joel Embiid? I think that's probably the the best discussion point for the Sixers if they are to be a contender. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting situation because you look at Joel Embiid and LaMarcus Aldridge from a body type perspective is a great matchup. But then you look at some of the guys that are good pull-up shooters on that team, like Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, and then possibly whoever they add in the Ben Simmons trade. If they don't you know, trade Simmons and he ends up on the team, I think it's a little easier to play LaMarcus because you have more help on the floor because you're helping off Ben Simmons' guy. But if they add you know, a C.J. McCollum, then you just might have to eat Joel Embiid, you know, beating up on your big and just play your normal style of offense and just kind of live with him, send double teams, stun at him, whatever it needs to be. So for them, it just kind of really matters what their roster construction looks like come playoff time because it could be it's drastically different if they add, you know, someone in place of Ben Simmons that is really good. But if they have Ben Simmons, then it's like, okay, there's a major weakness on the offensive end. And obviously defensively, he still gives them some major pop. Yeah, I think that that's something that's worth sort of thinking about. Um, Lucas, what do you think in terms of, we were discussing a little bit about, you know, the Suns and the Heat, and they're not necessarily, I guess the Suns, the Heat, and the Sixers are the next sort of contender-ish teams. And with the Sixers, it's just Joel Embiid that I think Nick and I are really sort of worried about, and I'm sure Steve Nash might lose a little bit of sleep over. But what changes and what defensive iterations, what lineup changes do you think are going to matter against the Suns, against the Heat, against the Sixers? And I don't think the Celtics are in that department yet, but we've also have seen you know the Nets do what they do against um, the Celtics as well. Yep, I think um, you know the Sixers. We really have to wait on the uh, on the Ben Simmons trade return because that's going to add a whole new hopefully for their for them uh, uh, dimension to their offense. You know, if it's CJ McCollum, that adds a whole new level of pull-up shooting perimeter self-creation ability that they've that opponents have never had to worry about with Philly. Um, you know, if it's it's a package of young guys that they flip, we'll see. But I don't think the lineups really change too much in those scenarios just because the Nets view the talent gap between themselves and those teams as substantial enough where Brooklyn is good enough to play their basketball and force the opponent to adjust. 
I mean, obviously with Embiid, you know, you can't switch any just anybody onto him, and, and yeah. uh, you, know, you have to have specific game plans, of course. But in terms of the lineup construction, I think they're going to do what makes them feel the best. Um, Brooklyn's philosophy, I think, to me, should be if we reach our peak optimization, whatever, the Sixers, Suns, Heat, no matter what they do, can't touch us. Um, I'm... I fell, I fell victim to this last year. I think the Heat may, might be a slight tier above those two teams uh, just because you're going to have more improvement from Bam out of bio. They made a lot. They made some good signings. Maybe if Victor Oladipo is healthier than he was, um, he can give you anything. If he's an above-average NBA player again, that really helps them. The one contender I do think that is above them, and my pick to come out of the West, is the Nuggets. Um, this is obviously reliant on Jamal Murray having a, a nine to ten month ACL recovery where he gets back hopefully late February post All-Star break. And then they have two months of kind of just getting themselves together before the playoffs. Who knows? But in any of those cases, I don't think um, the next strategy changes too much. I think that the Denver Nuggets one is one we didn't really consider there. And I think that we saw Jokic... Throw a tantrum the last time when we came up against Denver, which was a, a bit of fun. It'd be the Jeff Green revenge game in a lot of respects. I think that would be... Um, that's a series I want to see. I want to see that the finals. I want to see Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, um, rather than the Lakers. I mean, we're all anti-Lakers here as Nets fans <laughs> and, as, and as Buzz fans. But I think that would be incredible because Jokic can exploit you know so much and can manipulate the floor. And I think that his uh, ability to perform in post-seasons... I think he might be one of the best finals and playoff performers that we have seen, you know, of, of late. You know, you've got Kevin Durant, you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got LeBron James. But Nikola Jokic is probably in that conversation with how amazing he has been. He hasn't... I can't remember the last time he played a bad game. Obviously, you know, last year there was injuries aplenty. He's playing with a guy named Facundo Campazzo. Um, but in saying that, his individual brilliance um, as an MVP and as just a, a one-man force is something that I think would be worrying. But then, like we sort of allude to, the Nets have some really solid enough, I'm not going to say totally capable and elite, but solid enough options uh, in that front court uh, composition that they do have. But uh, I think that Lucas just hit the nail on the head. You know, The Nets, as they are, the teams will be worrying about them, not vice versa. Yeah, they provide more matchup problems for other teams unless they have three elite defensive wing players. And even in that case, it might not work out. I think the Nuggets would be really fun. Obviously, Jamal Murray's health. Another thing I'd love to see would be Clippers and Nets if Kawhi was healthy. But at this point, I don't feel like Kawhi is going to be ready for the Clippers to kind of make that push. But guys, any other random fun lineups that you want to throw out there? On the Clippers, Nick, just to touch on that, we've seen some really fun matchups in in, in la just last season, you know, going yeah. up against the Clippers. And I think that the Clippers, as a matchup, they don't and they don't like to do what the Nets aren't the best at, and that is, you know, rim protection and protection, you know, in, in the paint and such. Whereas the Bucks are were, you know, obviously that's what a lot of their offense is predicated on. So. Uh, that would be a really fun matchup, and like sort of Lucas was um, uh, alluding to, you know, there's a, some pretty great pull-up shooting in that lineup. You know, you got Reggie Jackson, you got Kawhi Leonard, you got Paul George. But I've got 15 lineups. I'm not going gonna go through them. I'm just gonna go through my two-man combinations that to me excite me because um, I think it's easier and it's easy to keep up with than just listening to some Aussie bloke list out 75 goddamn names. So <laughs> my combinations uh, are as follows: Harden and Clax, Harden and Harris. 
Harden and Thomas and Harden and Mills. Then I got KD and LMA, uh, Bruce and KD and Mills and KD. And then I got Kyrie and Mills. And then I got Mills and Harris. For me, that's just the combinations I want to see because one that we have, ones that we have seen already in terms of James Harden and, and Joe Harris. I know that um, we all know for anyone that's watching Nets basketball, it might be the hardest offense to guard on the Brooklyn Nets, which is saying something. Those uh, that two man combination um, and just the other names in there. And look, Seiku and anyone else. You know, I'm going to get on the Seiku. <laughs> Seiku and KD. I think you know there's going to be a little bit of chemistry there. KD just knows how to get guys going. I think that his versatility. Um, but in saying that, th- those combinations, those two-man combinations, uh, are things that I want to see out there on the court because I think that there is chemistry potential there and there is potential for you know, just guys to make each other awesome. And in the in the case of Kyrie and Paddy Mills, uh, just an Australian connection that uh, speaks to my, to my heart uh, and my soul in a deep, deep way. I mean, they sound all fun. I mean, there's a ton of great two-man combos. Any, like, crazy fun lineups you got, Lucas, that we didn't touch on today? Um, no, only because I think you're at a point where you could pull five names out of a hat and get something yep. done. Uh, I'm excited for, uh, you know, the Harden Harris Mills lineups in the same way I was kind of excited for the Shamit Harris Harden lineups of last year. Um, I think Mills, I mean, Mills is definitively uh, an upgrade. On that, Lucas, the, the stats did back that up as well. As a three-man line of Arden, Shaman, and Harris last year, 153 minutes, 119.4 offensive rating and 101.9 defensive rating, so 17.5 net rating. So, yeah. supplant Shaman for Mills. Um, and even, like I was sort of alluding to, obviously, Lucas will finish off his sort of... Um, he, he, what he's, he's in looking forward to. But Harden, Johnson, TJ, and Claxton had a 118.1 offensive rating and 104.8 defensive rating. You supplant Johnson for Mills in, in that sort yeah. of regard, and you're still going to get capabilities um, there that are pretty goddamn exciting. Yeah, exactly. And I think you take those three guys and you put your two best defenders in a situation. If it's Bruce Brown and James Johnson, if... If you want more side, if it's Claxton and whoever, that's a great five-man primarily bench lineup. Uh, I mentioned the three guys I want to see together is Millsap, Katie, Claxton often. Um, but I just, I just can't wait for the random back-to-back in March in Minnesota when it's like Cam Thomas, James Johnson, Seiku, maybe, Bembry, Mills, and, and guys just running running good, running good offense uh, and, and good defense, as we saw last year with the Nets. They, their coaching staff did a great job of making sure everyone stayed ready. Uh, the last thing I'll say, because I think we all collectively um, banished the Milwaukee series from our memories. Who did close game one was not, it was Bruce Brown, but it wasn't Blake Griffin. It was Harden, I mean, it was Irving, KD, uh, Brown, Harris, and either you had any guesses? Can you get a hint? Is it a big or a small? I, I, I don't want to give you a I feel like it Chip, might be Chip Green. James. It was Mike James. Yeah. Oh, Mike James. Of course, it had to be that. And, of course, Nick knew that because that is cement, cement. Or maybe I should have known that better because, you know, I think Nick has probably put that into the deep recesses of his subconscious. And, look, Mike it's James like, and I Monica. I so many, like, hate tweets for that because I was not in the Mike James bandwagon. Then he popped <laughs> off in game one. They're like, what do you think of Mike James now? <laughs> it's like step back, uh, uh, pump fake, like, 18-footers. It was, it was great. Uh, oh, oh well. He, uh, he should have gotten a ring. 
Mike James should have been <laughs> that's legend forever, man. True that, true that. And as much as Nick doesn't want it to be a reality, maybe we bring him back as a, a buyout candidate when you know maybe there's some injuries or, or something uh, happens going forward. All right, he's going to be winning the whatever the Monaco League MVP is going to be. Yeah, yeah. He'll get a nice, uh, you know, Nissan Altima or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I got one lineup that I'm just excited to see. It's just kind of irrational. It just would be Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Nick Claxton. I just feel like very rational. Just, very rational. <laughs> I just feel like it would just be so much fun. And then you have Clax there just providing that like youth and spark of excitement, somebody to catch oops and stuff with all that spacing. I mean, like you kind of said, though, Lucas, you could literally just draw five names out of a hat, and we'd probably all be excited to see that lineup at some point. Like, even the all-youth lineup, like, maybe we'll see this in blowouts. It'd be, like, Javon Carter, Cam Thomas, Bruce Brown, Nick Claxon, and Dayron Sharp or something along those lines, or even Kessler Edwards in there. I'll be excited to just see the youth. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about youth and junk time and the excitement that we have. You know, I think we're all so goddamn excited for this team. And you know, I think that the the Mills and, and Clax combinations – speaks to my standard at a very deep uh, also. And to finish off with some more stats, because I'm sure everyone is enjoying listening to me spew some goddamn numbers, but uh, other lineups where you've got Jeff Green, and I think you supplant Jeff Green with maybe a James Johnson, and you could see this level of effectiveness. So you've got Han, Harris, Green, and Durant as a four-man combination. 136 minutes last year, 123 offensive rating, and 108.8 defensive rating, 14.2 net. Um, Harden, Irving, Green, Durant, so the big three uh, with Jeff Green, uh, 125.3 offensive rating and 115.3 defensive rating. Now, you supplant Green for Clax, you supplant Green for Millsap, you supplant Green for Johnson. Look, I think Jeff Green is going to be missed, but I still think that uh, lineups with Harden, Harris, Durant, and two other dudes or one other dude is going to be incredibly effective. I think we've touched on so many combinations um, that people are going to be just thinking for days and days about the combinations that they want. But before we do, end, Nick, it would be remiss of me if I didn't mention uh, some uh, different lineups that uh, some of the the listeners threw out me because I, I threw out on, on Twitter just to see what other people were, were intrigued to see. So always fun to uh, finish off with ones that uh, our listeners are intrigued to see about. Uh, sometimes video... The incredible superstar three-point shooting one, Harden, Paddy, Kyrie, Joe, KD for short bursts, uh, Anthony uh, D'Agostino, uh, D'Agostino, sorry. Um, the starting lineup after Aldridge signed was Harden, Kyrie, Harris, KD, and LMA. Nets love Harris, and I expect that to be the same, unless they want to ease LMA back in. Plus, Blake and Claxton played well together and would be quite the big man tandem off the bench. Millsap is the wild card. I agree with that. Any lineup with Claxton at the four and Aldridge at the five, which I think I would be intrigued to see. Um, even though Blake um, and and Clax were the best combination, I'll, I'm intrigued to see if Claxton and Aldridge can get something going. Uh, Mal Capone, a big three plus Millsap and Blake. It would be interesting. Big three plus Blake and Clax. Um, Avinash, uh, Nitty. Any lineup with Griffin and Aldridge is too slow. We saw that last year before it was abandoned. Big three plus Clax, Griffin or Aldridge and Millsap is preferable. Uh, James uh, Politano, KD Millsap, Blake Aldridge, and Clax. Uh, Tej, TJ Gallo, Mills, Kyrie, Harden, KD, LMA. And then sees that he minors the same except taking out Blake and move KD to the four and put Joe in at the three. So a lot of combinations, uh, a lot of excitement, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think it'll be even more fun looking back at the lineups at some point and just like, oh, can these two actually play together? Can Blake Griffin and Paul Millsap play together? I'm not really sure. We'll obviously see probably that at maybe some point. How does LaMarcus Aldridge and Nick Claxton work? Like, what's that combination look like? It should be fun. Steve Nash has a lot of different lineups, a lot of different options, so he should explore all season long. Lucas, always a pleasure having you on. Jack, always a pleasure podcasting with you. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.